you have to develop a relationship with your consumer. Welcome back to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast brought to you by Vesta. I'm your host, Sue Freck. Each week, along with my guests, other fellow passionate marketers, we will explore engaging and inventive marketing strategies and toast brands making impactful consumer connections. Please kick back, relax, and join our happy half hour of marketing inspiration and positivity and come away a happier and smarter marketer. This week, we will learn why brand love matters, how you build it, and how Anne Candido, a highly successful, award-winning, 20-year brand marketing veteran at P&G, fine-tuned processes to help brands dig deep to discover their brand love potential. She is the author of The Super Highway of Relevancy, a book that shares how you can get more people to choose your brand more often and indefinitely. You'll also hear how some of the hardest times during her career have been some of the most rewarding. She will remind all of us not to be afraid of the hard work because there are amazing lifetime experiences and moments that pay off due to this hard work. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Marketer Connection. I'm Sue Freck and I'm your host and it's brought to you by Vesta. I'm very excited about this week's topic, brand love. Yes, I've said love, the concept of love. It has so much, brand love has so much depth, but I really believe it is relevant to any brand. I'm excited to introduce our guest today who is an expert in brand love and we'll get to more of that in a minute. You know, if we can cultivate love for our brand, true love for a brand, no matter the size or stage, your brand will have this opportunity to persevere. We also have seen this with our own personal brands. For me, my favorites are brands like Yeti and Patagonia, Lululemon. These brands have something in common, a thread. They have these super fans and evangelists. And the bottom line is that they are able to create this brand love to the core. So this week, we're going to hear from Anne Candido. Anne is the co-founder of Forthright People. Welcome, Anne, to our show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Sue. So just starting off, we're going to have a quick icebreaker. Can you talk about and tell your story how you go from earning a degree in engineering <laughs> to working on one of the largest brands, most iconic brands in the world? How does that transition happen? It, it happens through careful planning, actually, and, and opportunistic just circumstances I, uh, I took advantage of. So yes, I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Dayton. Uh, I went to work at Procter & Gamble right from that in product development, and I spent my first 10 years in product development. But the great thing about P&G is that you can create your own career if you have the foresight and the, basically the guts to go do that. And so I was starting to look at uh, what other people were doing um, around me, and I had a desire to be closer to the business. I just felt like where I was in product development, even though I loved what I was doing, I just felt like I wanted to have a bigger say in how the whole business was uh, being crafted and, and the decisions were being made in the business. So ironically, I was in a, um, a, a category that was in male grooming um, product development at that time. And um, there was a communications role that was a male grooming communications role. And when I um, applied for the job, I said, hey, listen, I'm like, I have like, I've been shadowing some communications people. I think what they do is really cool, 
but I don't know communications, but I'm an expert in male grooming. My boss goes, well, that's interesting because I'm an expert in communications and I don't know male grooming. So we're a match made <laughs> in heaven. <Yeah. laughs> so I, I beat out all these other expert communicators um, and I mean, very, really good at their job. And he took me on and, um, you know, the, the last 10 years I spent doing communications, influencer marketing, which um, led me to just a vast number of experiences and then eventually the career I have now. So, you know, that's how a mechanical engineer gets to be a marketer and has to shift from, you know, one part of their brain to the other. But I, I, I like to pride myself on the fact that I can still use both parts of my brain. That's amazing. And I always feel like, and you probably hear this too, there's like the break, you know, it happens in like acting as well, but it happens in marketing. And if you have someone that trusts their instinct and trust, trust their gut, they're going to take that risk. And they, someone did that for you and clearly it paid off. Right. I mean, and it's, and it, I, I can't say enough about, um, because I know you have a lot of young listeners too, and a lot of young marketers is that don't wait for somebody to, pat out your career or tell you where your career is going to go. You need to take responsibility for your own career, seek out the opportunities, really connect with the people that you believe are going to be uh, leading you down the path that you want to go in and, and follow that path. I mean, you have to be happy in what you want to do. And if you're not, then it's just going to make uh, the world that you live in tedious. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree and taking, taking leadership. So let's go to the topic of brand love, which I know you and I both truly enjoy talking about. I have a quote here from you. You said brand love is truly this universal thread that like transforms products into brands and brands into franchises. What, what does that mean? Well, and you, and you alluded to it a bit in your intro too, in that, you know, as you look at these brands and the brands that you really love and you can't live without, there is something of a, there's a, there's a, there's a connection there that is not, just due to the product benefit alone. So, you know, take Nike, for example, you, you mentioned Lululemon and some other brands, but Nike is one of my favorites. And I think their history has really been one of cultivating brand love. And if you think about what they put a price tag on, right, they put a price tag on shoes and apparel, but that's not what they're selling. You don't go in to buy Nike for the shoes and apparel, even though they're good shoes and apparel, but really, what the, the, the product performance is really just like, it's just a baseline, like everybody has good products. But what they're really selling is the belief that when you put these shoes and this apparel on, you become an athlete. And that has tremendous amount of value for the consumer that's buying it. And what are you willing to pay more for? You're willing to pay more for, you know, I now if I wear this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like I, I can feel like I can live into being an athlete. Or are you going to pay for shoes and, you know, apparel? So that's like the, the biggest difference and having a commodity, which almost everything that we buy can be broken down into commodity, transform into something that people covet and, and need to have and it becomes part of their life. And then once it becomes part of your life, you can take that and scale that into so many other parts of their life, which is how now Nike has built a franchise because now they have you know, running apps and they have training apps and they have before, you know, all the you know, COVID hit, they have Nike training camps and they have all these things that they're able now to uh, provide for their, their consumers because their consumers believe in their ability for Nike to create and make them an athlete. 
it makes so much sense. And the brands that, of course, I named are also huge brands, Nike. What about for listeners that have a startup brand? You know, we work a lot in startup food, believe it or not, but startup brands or small businesses. What, when you go in and talk to them about, about brand love and cultivating that, what is that story to, to that marketer or business owner? Where I start is the fact that you have to develop a relationship with your consumer. And I, um, I talk a lot about this in my book, The Super Highway Relevancy, uh, and I have a process called the What If Ideation Process that kind of that goes through this and steps through this in a, in a very logical way to help people kind of get into the mindset that building a brand is so essential from the get-go because the brand is what guides all of your decisions on how you're going to market, how you're going to sell, how you're going to communicate to stakeholders and to, um, you know, to retailers. I mean, it becomes the ethos of why you even exist. And so you absolutely have to have that from the get-go. Now, what, it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It doesn't take a, a, even a tremendous amount of time. It just takes some ability to actually think about it in a way that um, it, it allows you to kind of like untap um, what you may might maybe block to. And I, I think saying another way is you have to be honest with where your brand is, how your brand's connecting, where your brand is with respect to your competition, how you're differentiating. Because really, you don't have a brand until you can answer three questions, which is, who am I? Why am I different? And why do you, the consumer, want me? And that's where it all fundamentally starts. So that's when I go into any business. That's why I say, okay, what does this look like for you? If you don't have this buttoned up, you need to get this buttoned up right away. You really need to understand your consumer in an intimate way. You have to understand what is attention for them within your category. You have to understand what emotion is being derived as a result of that tension. Then you need to figure out how you as a brand are going to connect with them authentically that only you can then have that relationship with them. And then from that, you can develop all these different ways in. But what people tend to do is they tend to just jump to the sexy executables like, and they see other people saying, well, so-and-so is doing this on social media. I'm going to do this on social media. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And then they're surprised and they're like, why did that work? You know, marketing, <laughs> marketing sucks. I just spent all this money on marketing and, and it, it didn't give me anything, but it's because it didn't do the upfront work in order to understand if that was the appropriate way to connect to the consumer and build those brand love connections. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So much sense. Uh, one of the things that we talked about that I love that you do is you really help business owners, you help brands pivot. Um, I think no better time than right now with everything going on in the world between COVID-19, the important movement around Black Lives Matters, you know, new frontiers, civil unrest. You know, there's so many ways that a brand can pivot, but let's talk about how do you help them pivot? Like, what's that strategy look like, even from a high level? I'm going to sound like a very broken record, but it's really about understanding your consumer and understanding your consumer now in the way that they're at and understanding your consumer in a very intimate way, not just what their age range is and not just their general demographics, which is like, we'd like to boil that all up to these very like uh, general uh, statements about, um, you know, oh, I target all women between 25 yeah. and 85. And yeah. if you have a house, then you need my product. But that's not the way the world works. And that's not how you're going to create brand love. Your ability to create brand love is by going to a target that in, if your business was going to die tomorrow and, you know, the, the consumer gods came down and said, I will give you a hundred people 
to save your business? Who are those people? You better be able to answer that question. And it's not going to be a hundred women, the ages of 25 to 65 who own a house. It's going to be, I need this person who lives around the corner, who come, walks by my restaurant every day or my storefront every day, who has two kids, who believes in these things, who um, has this kind of mentality um, or who dresses like that. I mean, you have to have very specific details that kind of describe your consumer to the point that you can like, you're like you're describing your best friend. And that's where you get to the point of where you can then start creating brand love because those are going to become your evangelists and your ambassadors. And they're the ones who are going to help spread the word about you. But if you try to go too broad, you're just going to be um, diffusing your message across too big of a space. And most people don't have the money or the time to really do that. So you need to go and you need to reintroduce your, to yourself to your consumer 2.0 see how they're different than they were before, see where they're now engaging with uh, the products and services that you sell and really understand how you're going to be able to connect to them in this new world and be flexible and be willing to do that. And don't put your head in the sand and thinking this is all going to blow over because it's not, it's not going to for a long time. And I'll sound like a broken record again and agree with you so much that when we work with big brands, not the smaller brands, they say, I want to be so-and-so. I want to be, you know, seven generations as a client. I want to be like that. But they started with exactly what you're talking about down to the detail that it's not just a mom. It's not just a millennial mom. It's a millennial mom that is a first time mom because that's a moment where you make a change in your lifestyle. They knew that if you're a first time mom, you are changing the products you use. So having that granular detail and so these big brands say, well, I want to do it. I want to be nimble. And I want, I want to, I want to have the brand love that some of these smaller brands have. And you're basically explaining that the having that relationship and that deep, deep understanding matters most. And so really starting from those insights and that understanding sounds like it's really important and a critical step. Yeah, that's right on. I mean, and, and, and that is like a great example of how you start building your evangelism, your ambassadorship by going after a very like specific consumer, but then it starts to halo outside of that specific consumer to other um, called habits and practices or you know other um, demographics. And that's what starts growing your brand, but you kind of have to start from that groundwork and then be able then to see how it's going to expand and then start um, really catering to those consumers. But if you start up high, you, you just won't have enough money and, and you won't be able to break through all the noise in order to reach them. Yeah, 100%. So shifting gears a little bit back to school, we had talked uh, earlier and you said no one really goes to school for marketing. So how <laughs> do young marketers, which is funny because this is a marketing podcast, uh -huh. how do young marketers navigate the marketing landscape? And by the way, I went to school for a nutritional science, so it's, which is why, why I love food so much and working with food brands, but clearly not did not go to school for marketing either. But how, how do they gain experience to land a job at P&G and, and work on one of the most well-known brands of the world. So what does that look like when you say no one goes to school for marketing? What does that mean? <laughs> well, okay. So I guess I should caveat and say, yes, you can go to bar, yeah, school and get a marketing degree. So before you get like a gazillion people, like, <laughs> those, what are you talking about, Sue? I have this marketing degree or and, you know, so, um, but um, 
really what I'm what I, I'm trying to uh, you know get the point across is that it's that is a degree. The real education doesn't come until you actually get into the trenches, and that's where you really really learn. And that's why a lot of marketers that you'll see, especially in in corporations, then start as marketers. And you know that's interesting because it's it gives you a, a different purview on the business and allows you to have a broader perspective on um, how the business operates, so that you can become a more effective marketer. Now, for those people who are say, you know started you know, got a degree in marketing and started on marketing, that is totally fine too. It's just um, you have to have a different like appreciation. You have to kind of see it through a different lens. So. I can tell you that like the marketers I see that just really take off have uh, several things in common. So one is basically kind of going back with what I just said, they understand and appreciate how marketing impacts everybody else's job. So if you are a marketer, you better understand how your product is being sold. So you better be talking to the people who do your sales and understand like, okay, if you're going to go position this to the retailer, how are you selling that in? What do the retailers need to understand? Um, in order to be able to um, get preferentials, shelf placements, and all those things that are really, really important. Because marketing and those tangible assets that show up as marketing, whether they're influencers or TV ads or partnerships, those become really great uh, collateral to be able to put up um, in front of retailers. But if you have the wrong ones, it may not make any sense to his retail. So you have to really understand what everybody, everybody else's job is. Don't, don't do your job in a silo and really seek to understand. And then I also see um, these rising star marketers. Um, they, uh, they really understand at least two to three marketing channels. Like they're experts. They either really are social experts or they're media experts or they're um, communications experts or they're influencer experts. And they, they know two to three channels really, really well but they also know somebody else who's an expert in all the other channels. So they don't try to be a you know, jack of all trades and a master of none. People, they, they start being identified with from people about, okay, so-and-so is, is a social media expert. You definitely wanna go with them. And then when you start like engaging in social media, they say, well, you know, how do I then translate this into my influencer program? Well, I don't know influencers, but so-and-so knows influencers, we're going to partner together and we get you a complete package of, of um, marketing expertise. But they also, um, the third thing I would say is that they practice and they welcome feedback. So they never defer what's hard. If they're, they don't, uh, you know, don't know how to do it or don't know what to do, they seek out the expertise from their experts and then they learn. They don't just like say, okay, you go do that. They want to understand the different pieces, how it fits in, how to connect the dots, you know, and they're not afraid of, you know, offering suggestions in meetings. They're not afraid of uh, asking their boss, hey, can I um, help you out on that so I can understand more? Um, so they do all these things in order to get exposure, in order to get experience, in order to learn more, in order to be able to grow. And they're not afraid of switching roles in order to go do that either. So that gives you a little bit, um, even if you're a marketer or if you're an aspiring marketer um, coming from a different discipline, those are you know, what I've seen um, really helps like marketers rise. That's amazing. And, and, and saying, you know, not that it's not worth getting a marketing degree, but it, this real world experience is really where you can really build your career and your success out of. So that brings me then to your expertise. You have this very broad expertise. Um, you also have very narrow where you're, you are an expert in, in specific areas as well. But how would a 
earlier marketer, or junior marketer, someone coming out of school, how would they, you suggest they make decisions if they don't have that expertise? And even when I'm looking to hire marketers or I have clients that are looking to hire people on their team, what is the best way to suggest to them to make some really big decisions that can impact the market for, for some big brands? So the biggest suggestion I can make is align yourself with people who know what they're talking about. It don't feel like you have to be the person alone on the island to make the decision. It's just going to be all on you because it's never all on you. It takes a team in order to do anything in this world. So be strategic in aligning yourself with people who can give you good consult, who have been where you've been, who are good strategic thinkers and are good doers. In doing that, you have to create a vision. You have to be humble to some extent and be able to ask the right questions and not be afraid of the answers and not be afraid of looking stupid. Because at the end of the day, if you succeed, everybody looks good. If you fail, they will blame it on you <laughs> because you're the <laughs> young one. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. So you're you're a better position to, you know use everybody around you that is our experts and listen to them, you know, and, 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 and try to share a little bit of the risk. So this is where you go to your boss um, and, or, you know, whoever is going to be the team leader and say, here's my options. Help me think through my options. And you share the risk in you know, making the decision to move forward so that you're alone, not being the lone ranger out there. And if there's something that you just don't quite understand go ask somebody, offer to say, hey, I'll, you know, can I take you out to lunch for 30 minutes and just pick your brain on how, um, how you put together a P&L? Yeah. Like, I don't understand P&L. Explain to me a p and I'll buy you lunch. Everybody will take a free lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And share their knowledge, right? And share their knowledge. And they want to, because a lot of people at, at their essence want to be educators. I mean, it just, it's natural, even if they don't appear to be. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is too, you can do it offline. Like you don't have to learn in your business either. If you're, if you're really big into your church and your church has a social media channel, say, Hey, can I, um, can I manage your social media channels yeah, yeah. and see like how things work? You know, it's a little rest, less risky environment. You have to of course be careful and don't take advantage <laughs> of, you know, of, of the situation, but you know, you can learn outside of your business too, in a little bit of a safer environment. That's great advice. And I love that. You know, I always say people say, oh, you know, what's the one recommendation you have if I'm starting my own business? It's always ask for help. I never claim to be the expert in everything. I make strong decisions and quick decisions and, and take accountability, but that's because I source it from, you know, a lot of different experts, like you're saying. So I love that suggestion. And I think that's a good reminder for a lot of the senior marketers here that there are times where the people coming fresh out of school may have different set of skills. You know, digital is moving at such a fast pace. And I, for one, cannot be afraid when TikTok first exploded to go to my 15-year-old and say, I hey, too. how does this work? And why are you spending 18 hours a day on TikTok? You have to be open to that to stay relevant. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I did the exact same thing. And actually, I've made a couple of TikToks. I think they're pretty good, but my, you know, Corinne says I need some practice. I just told her she's a bad teacher. <laughs> but I think that's exactly right on. It's like, you have to be open. You can't pretend like you know everything. I, what I used to say all the time too with my teams is, um, you know, I may not always have the right idea or the good idea, but I know a good one when I hear it. Yeah, and I think right. that's really the mentality that people need to take is like, you have to be a curator of, of, of knowledge 
and expertise, but you have to be strong enough to make a decision and go with it. And that's the other thing that I see, especially on the senior marketing side, where there's like, you're starting to get to an, a, a point where you want to get promoted and, and people are starting to look at you as an expert and you feel very compelled to show up that way. So you're not as inclined to ask for a help because you think, well, I should know this and people are counting me need to know this. But at the end of the day, like, again, your success is going to be if the whole team wins. If you don't do that, if you're not going to like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but if the arrow, you know, the, the, the cannon comes and blows up your boat, you're going to go down with the ship. So, I mean, it's in your best interest to, you know, seek out that help. And even if people's like, oh, well, they should have known that. Well, fine. So I should have known that now I know that, you know, but still here's the result at the end of the day, you know, so I think it's having the, uh, the, the confidence and in, in understanding that, you know, you're always going to be learning and just take pride in the fact that that is part of your DNA. I'm a learner. Yeah, um, I'm same. always looking to learn. I'm, I'm trying to grow. I don't pretend like I know everything. That's why I have all these people around me. Otherwise I would have my business all by myself and just be a learner, embrace it. And, and I think that's really the path to really trying to break through um, any of the challenges you'll face. Interested in building a home for your audience? Our Vesta solution powers online communities, giving your consumers a home for a world of engagement and connections. To learn more, visit us at vesta-go.com. You had a very successful career at P&G. You probably could have taken a marketing job at any company. You took a leap. You, you started your own business. Um, and I think you and I have a very unique relationship that I worked with you at P&G. I then hired you to help me with some, my yeah. rebranding. Then you hired us to help build a community. And now you're a guest on, on the podcast. And I'm sure we're going to work together for many, many years. Can you talk about forthright people? Talk about starting your business, that leap of faith, and just give us that uh, story? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's an interesting story because I think it's a testament to when you put something out in the universe, you better be prepared <laughs> because um, I, I had about 20 years at P&G. And as I looked out at what, you know, I called like the back nine or my final you know, decade, I just couldn't see a path that was going to lead me to a place where I was going to be continue to be happy, growing, fulfilled. And actually in my last few years, um, I had taken a leap of faith and I had asked my boss, I said, hey, can I create my own role? Now, there's risk and reward in that, right? Because the reward is that you get to create something new. And I, you know, I was the, um, the North America communications um, for uh, product uh, development, I think it's kind of how I, I positioned it. It, it. So I got to like make it my own. But you know, the, the downside is, is when you do that, you do set yourself out from the machine. And when the machine is starting to like try to operate as a machine, which is what P&G was trying to do at that time as we were facing some of um, the pressures from outside and you're, you're a part outside the machine, they don't know what to do with you there. So <laughs> the benefit is, is I learned a ton because this is where I really learned the, the powers of brand love. And I learned that it doesn't matter, as you said early on, that it, the size of your business, how long you've been around, how much money you have. I'm like, this is the universal thread that really helps brands grow. And when I started practicing that within my category, which was laundry, and then outside of my category, and then even outside of the company, I was realizing that this was really a common tie. So I started having an idea of what I felt like I could offer. And I particularly really love small and mid-sized businesses. I just feel like there's just so much energy there. And there's 
so much desire and passion to move and, and to be something different and to create a different, you know, all these different opportunities. And I just wanted to be a part of that. So when I left P&G, because ironically, my role was um, eliminated. <laughs> um, although I could have gone someplace else, but, and I nice. chose to left. So they gave me lots of opportunities. It was my choice to leave. But um, I, I took that and I, I started to apply it to other businesses. And I was realizing how much impact and how much value is bringing. Because marketing and branding is such a black box for people who don't live in a corporate environment. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but a lot of people, you know, choose to kind of want to keep it in a black box for job security purposes kind of thing. But me and April, um, who's my partner um, at Forthright People, and April actually grew up on the agency side. So we have an agency kind of corporate partnership that actually works very well, going back to the complementary skills and not, you know, having blind spots and not knowing exactly, you know, having, uh, even though we have the full purview, but not necessarily having the expertise in all the different areas coming together with her, we've been able to offer this like really great expertise and, and executable um, delivery for these marketing and branding objectives that these businesses need right now, um, where they don't need like a big agency that's going to car- charge them a big retainer. We come in and we help them along the way, del- you know, deliver against specific challenges they're having right now. Um, at a very like, efficient and affordable cost, but with super talented, top of the, uh, of, of the line people. It, it gives me so much reward to see that. And that was really why I decided to leave P&G and to um, go on my own, because I just, I wanted to be the captain of my own ship. <laughs> and mm-hmm. now I have a co-captain, which I love. Mm-hmm. She's great. And really see what kind of impact we could have on the world outside of the doors of P&G. Yeah, I love it. And you're so right about the passion. Before I started this business, I worked for five founders. And why and what I loved about it is that passion, that energy, their belief in their product is so strong. But okay, so then they don't have the skills, which is where you and April come in to help create the branding, the story, the relationships with their end user, their customer, consumer, um, which is incredible. But I, I absolutely understand that passion that comes from those smaller or mid-sized business, particularly when you can work with a founder, um, which is super exciting. So the name of our podcast is The Happy Marketer Connection. Is there a happy story or experience or something you can share with our audience today? Wow. So there's been, it sounds cliche to say, but it's been a ton of happy experiences. I'll tell you, though, the benefit of kind of leaning in to um, take on responsibility and the, and the benefits it can pay back is um, one of my most favorite roles was in P&G was um, leading uh, the communications for our onsite communications for the U.S. family home for the 2012 Olympic Games in London. Yeah. yeah. So the Thank You Mom program. And, uh, you know, that was one where it was kind of a stretch. Um, honestly, and, you know, wasn't sure how it was going to work out. And, but it was probably one of the most rewarding times and it wasn't, but it wasn't one of the most easiest times, you know? So it's like, it, it, when I, it, so when you say the happy marketer, it's kind of like the experience of being able to be there for three weeks in London, seeing like, you know, these athletes and these families come through, but then also um, one of the most, my most favorite things is watching the women's basketball team win the gold medal and, you know, get, having them being able to watch them receive their gold medals and um, listening to the national anthem play. That was like, 
a moment like I'll never forget. Response. Yeah, yeah. Right, but you know, but all the the pain that led up to that, you know, <laughs> I guess there's always karma, right? You know, so that's the thing. It's like don't be afraid, I guess, of the hard work or what looks like, you know, the, the really hard work because there's these like amazing like lifetime experiences and moments that like always seem to have paid out of the really really hard work. Yeah, yeah. The toughest grinds gives you the greatest reward. And, and I'm sure yeah, athletes will, so will say that as well. So um, any final thoughts for closing the podcast? And then, and we want to know how to connect with you, with Fourth Break People, you and April and the incredible work you do. But any final thoughts as well? I think the, the one thing I just want to make sure, um, especially, you know, knowing your audience, it might be in, in that marketing bubble that we've talked about is that you got to be very careful about getting so wrapped up in the process of, of your career. Um, as I talked about before about being able to plan your own career, but you also have to plan your own life. And what I tell a lot of folks when I left P and G and I look back on it was like, you know what? I gave the company everything I had and they were willing to take everything I was going to give. Right. It was up to me in order to manage how much I was willing to give. And honestly, honestly, you know, the 80-20 rule kind of applies here, right? And so um, if you were to just embrace the fact that the 80-20 rule applies, which means, you know, the 80% of your effort is going to give you probably the maximized benefit, what would you do with that other 20% if you didn't have to give it to the company? And do something with that, do something that makes you happy, especially right now. And don't be, you know, feel guilty about doing that. It's almost like living like you're retired while you're still at work, because all you need is enough discretionary income in order to do the things that you love to do and the discretionary time to do the things we want to do. So carve out that time, tell the company or tell, you know, this is different if you have your own business and you're all in it. So I understand, but just speaking from a corporate or like, you know, even a mid-sized business for a second, you, you teach the company how you want to be respected as an employee. Set those boundaries. Yeah. Set the boundaries because only you will set those boundaries. They're not going to set those boundaries for you. And once you do that, and once they learn, they will respect that. Um, and you will have that time to be able to do other things like the side hustle you might want to do or the volunteering <laughs> you might want to do. So that's my, that's my last parting thought. It is almost as if we spoke about it already. My podcast episode after yours is about balance. This incredible uh, woman yeah. started a very long career in corporate, very successful and was looking for balance. And she actually found it when she started her own company. But to your point, don't wait until you're at our level in the career. You can have balance and and you're a I feel like you're a better employee for it. You know, if, if you're happier in your full life, meaning work and your personal, I just think you're a better employee. And yes, I own my own business, but I certainly make time for myself and my family. Um, but I've only done that in the last like five years of my career, not the, the early years at all. Right. And I think that's so critically important, you know, because people are afraid, well, I'm you know, my progression is going to, you know, slow down, or I'm going to be overlooked for that promotion. I'm like, well, you know, what really in the end of the day makes you happy? If that's what makes you happy, you know, go after it and go after it all. But I have not met anybody that's been in a career for 20 years that looks back and says, gosh, I'm so glad I invested all of my time and my effort into getting that promotion is totally paid off. 
I mean, right. it's just not what you hear. Not what you look back on. Right. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. That is awesome advice and a great way to end. So how do we find you and Candido? How do we find forthright people? Yeah, you can look us up. Um, it's forthright-people.com. Um, so that's our website. You can contact me in April through that. You can find us on LinkedIn. Um, we like, love to engage with people. If you have any questions whatsoever, if you want to just talk about anything that we talked about, feel free to reach out. We love to mentor. We love to um, consult. We love to strategize. Um, and we're willing to do that uh, initially just to even get everything kicked off. So don't hesitate to reach out. Excellent. Well, Anne, thank you so much. You know, I could speak to you for hours. Um, <laughs> love, loved working with you and highly recommend listeners to reach out to Anne in April and forthright people. So thank you, Anne, so much for being a guest today. Thank you, Sue. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing your stories, your career path, advice for other marketers, and really reminding all of us how important it is to build a strong relationship with your consumer. To hear more stories and lessons from the Happy Marketer Connection, be sure to subscribe to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast on iTunes or Spotify. To learn more about community building, our Vesta solution delivers community-powered marketing to elevate your digital presence, deliver predictive insights, and transform your consumers into lasting brand advocates. And I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sue Freck or find us at Vesta-Go.com. Thank you.